I'm Vincent Yates, the Chief Data Scientist and a partner at Cordera. And with me today is Jason Goth, our Chief Technology Officer and a partner also at Cordera. You've definitely heard from both of us before on several episodes of Technically Minded. And it turns out that we have a lot to say. We have a lot of opinions. <laughs> a lot of opinions. Hopefully the most of them are right. I don't know. We'll see. So we're excited to be back today as regular hosts on Technically Minded. Specifically, we get technology leaders together to discuss what's happening in our world. Our discussions are fun, lighthearted, and frankly, as you said, opinionated. But hopefully it gives you a sense of what matters most, what to pay attention to, and what not to. Today, we're going to be discussing blockchain. As many of you know, blockchain is a really hot topic right now. 74% of tech-savvy executive teams believe there's a huge business potential in blockchain. Worldwide spending in blockchain is $6.8 billion in 2021, rapidly approaching the estimated $19 to $20 billion by 2024. Over 70 million registered blockchain wallets exist, Q2 of 2021. And in fact, interesting little tidbit, the FBI at one point owned 1.5% of the world's total Bitcoin. And as of February 2020, they owned about $4 billion in BTC. So today, let's talk about blockchain. With me today is Ben Rhodes, our new Silicon Valley partner based in San Francisco, opening up our office there. A guy who, frankly, loves all things tech, business, and disruption. Welcome, Ben. Yeah, thank you for having me, Vincent. Uh, And I'm looking forward to today's discussion. So a little bit about me. Uh, I am Midwestern origin uh, and a Midwestern at heart. But uh, I feel I'm at my best out here on the West or Best Coast, uh, where (laughs) I get to be in all things tech. So um, love being an early adopter or innovator on that whole adoption curve uh, and very interested in what's pushing the way we work and play uh, and enabling our futures collectively. So um, before joining Cordera, I spent uh, a lovely 16 years with a big four firm and then uh, another firm here in the Bay Area and uh, really happy to be here. So thank you. Awesome. And just to be really clear here, Ben, to set us up on the right stage, you like blockchain, I hope, right? This seems promising to you. I would say, yes, I am a proponent of blockchain and what the technology enables. Yes. Okay, good. Because with me, as always, is Jason Goth, a guy who, frankly, is our resident contrarian. He has enough battle scars to realize the promise of the next big thing rarely comes true and is often snake oil. Tell us, Jason, just real quick for our listeners, a little bit about your background and just where where you come from and how it relates to today's cutoff. Sure. Uh, I started consulting in, in 1994, developing software, and have really been doing that ever since. So with a, a couple of stints, maybe five years in, in industry uh, for a large airline, but outside of that, really helping companies adopt technology. And as you said, I've got a lot of scars uh, from a lot of those implementations, and I find that there's uh, generally a lot more hype that comes along with uh, new technologies than there is actual usage. Fair enough. So for those of you who are joining for us the first time today, I'm a bit of a West Coast meets the South, as it were. I actually spent my early academic days at a PhD at Berkeley. Uh, I went from there directly to a really cool startup back in the day when unicorns were a unique thing. Now I realize you get money from your friends and you're probably a unicorn. But back then, that was a special thing, uh, Yammer specifically, and we got acquired by Microsoft. Uh, Ultimately, by the way, this is fascinating and I think relevant to today's conversation. 
again, back to the point of the big promise, our vision at Yammer was to make email a thing of the past. Like we believed it belonged to the dinosaurs and should live with them as well. And so that was really our mission, our vision, and, and a really powerful idea. Until, of course, we got acquired by Microsoft and sat under the exchange division. That that didn't go so well, at least not in that same vision. Um, again, went on from there to run data science at Uber, for example, where we're going to really change the way all transportation works. And once again, a huge promise, multi-trillion dollar industry. And again, we've seen how that sort of has played out over time. So I've definitely seen some of the downsides of all this hype. On the flip side, I was also the chief data scientist at GE. It was a big, heavy industrial customer that had billions of dollars of problems that they could solve if only they could get the data to work for them. And so I've seen, again, what happens if you're too extreme on the opposite side. So I'd say really kind of in the middle here. I'm super excited about the conversation today to talk about blockchain because I hear a lot, again, a lot of the hype. I also have a hard time understanding how some of it works and how we've imagined that going out. So just to kick us off, before we get too technical here, Ben, I'm going to turn it over to you. Can you just walk us through a little bit of your vision and what you hear your clients telling you, what people in Silicon Valley believe this blockchain is all about and why there's so much interest and excitement behind it? You bet, uh, or at least I will attempt to. So <laughs> thanks for the question. So blockchain, um, maybe set the tone or the foundation, uh, it's a technology. It's uh, not cryptocurrency. Uh, sometimes those are used synonymously, but blockchain is a, a newer technology. Basically, at its heart, it's a digital ledger. So think about how um, we can track um, events uh, across different computer systems, um, and we do it via blockchain. So in essence, it's a new technology or newer. It's been around for a while. Uh, it's a way to record information um, that makes it difficult or hopefully in theory, impossible uh, to chain, pack, or keep the system. Wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. Just pause for one second here. Ben. You're saying that blockchain could change the way this, so there's no more hacking? That, that's part of the vision here? Well, there will always be hacking, and I would say that there will always be folks out to use certain technologies in some sort of uh, nefarious or unintended manner, okay. um, which I'm sure Jason will surely highlight <laughs> uh, when it's his turn to speak. Uh, but... Um, Yes, that's the theory, and what makes it unique is it's not run by a private company or a government agency. It's run by us. It's run by peers, right? It's a distributed system around the world. It's peer-to-peer -peer network, um, and it's managed by all of us that participate in this particular blockchain that we are the checks and balances um, that make sure that we govern it um, versus private institutions, government, which, you know, they're certainly is some trust or distrust, uh, depending on your position there. So um, that's what makes it unique. Um, and then that's the blockchain technology is what cryptocurrencies are based off of. So Bitcoin, Coinbase, Ethereum, you name it, right? All these things that people are investing in um, today. So um, that's the essence of it. And, uh, you know, in less dorky terms uh, as we think about nodes around the globe. It is records and it is record keeping um, using various ways uh, uh, in which to uh, cipher things or use cryptology or cryptography to actually make this thing work at its, its base. So um, if I think about what the Valley is excited about, it's um, digitizing a bunch of things that are candidly analog and old school. So um, way to track things uh, could be used in things like healthcare. Um, certainly 
uh, as you think about monetary means and, um, you know, interestingly enough, we're seeing a lot of it uh, today as we think about the, you know, horrific events unfolding in Ukraine. Um, a lot of people are actually donating uh, using blockchain technology and using cryptocurrencies. So, um, you know, there's one of the ways in which it's being used for good. Now, of course, Jason might hit on the other side, which uh, Russia perhaps is using it for not so good uh, uh, intentions. So, um, there's certainly a lot going on, but um, there are many, many industries in which are using blockchain technologies, and um, we are at the beginning stages of this, uh, but I, for one, am excited where it's going. And that's really cool, and I think it makes a ton of sense why people would get excited about it, right? Like the idea that you have the system that's decentralized, that's that's particularly interesting, I think. The idea that this is all based on sort of under well-understood cryptographic methodologies here, and that, that, that intrinsically adds some extra security is super intriguing. I think to help us understand better how this differ is different from other technology, perhaps maybe Jason, you can go into a little bit. Tell us how does it work? Like, what's the technology powering the blockchain, which then you said Ben is used for a variety of applications, whether it be supply chain or cryptocurrency. But what what is the blockchain itself? How does it work? Yeah, and really, it's it's interesting because the blockchain is is not a, a technology. I would say as much as a specification. Okay, right? just like. The, a nine volt battery is a specification, right? And it and it, it fits in any device, and any manufacturer can make it, and anybody can make a device that has it. Um, but it essentially governs the way data is exchanged and stored. So it, it's been said, if you wanted to participate in the blockchain, you you would download a piece of software uh, and become a node on the blockchain. Which essentially you can think of it as running a website, and what that website has is imagine a giant spreadsheet as a website and each cell in that spreadsheet is cryptographically signed so that we know that it is accurate. And as people make updates to those cells, those things are propagated. And at any point in any time, anyone can go look at any site, website, spreadsheet, and see every block, the proof that that is correct, and every change that has happened that lead up to to that and validate that those are our correct. That is essentially what the blockchain is. Um, you know, I think to your point earlier, Ben, no no tool, no technology is inherently good or bad. They're they're used for things by people and people can use things for good and bad. I so I don't think there's anything inherently, you know, bad about the blockchain. I think that implementations that are built on top of it like Bitcoin or Ethereum challenge I think those technologies will have is that the things that are built on top are not well understood and making mistakes with them is incredibly dangerous or maybe not dangerous not the right word costly so give a quick example if you think about the blockchain itself I think the blockchain in terms of like the way that we distribute have the essentially spreadsheet website that everyone shares and we distribute out the updates to that. That's relatively unimportant in the grand scheme of things. It's it's a nice, secure way to store data and have everyone sync data. But what really is done with them is, well, what data is it that you store and sync? And in most implementations like Bitcoin or Ethereum, what those are is a set of instructions and uh, like a programming language. And those instructions might be, send Ben 10 Bitcoins or send Vincent to Ether. 
And that um, kind of little programming language that gets written into the cells of the spreadsheet is really the, the, the real implementation of Bitcoin or Ethereum. And those things are not well understood and they don't have really the maturity that traditional software development tools have. So today, if I were going to go develop something, you know, on a, on a, a typical technology that probably has 50 or 60 years of engineering best practices and learnings built into those patterns, like with the blockchain, you, you don't really have that. And you're, the challenge then becomes the immutability of it. So I, I've used this example to explain kind of the, the danger that can come along. So in, in Bitcoin, for example, that implementation of the blockchain, I can't say that I have 10 Bitcoins and I'm going to give Vincent eight. I can say I have 10 and I'm going to give Vincent eight and I'm going to give myself two. So that's, uh, how that protocol, that the Bitcoin protocol itself works. But there's nothing that requires me to give myself the change. And if mm -hmm. I forget, mm -hmm. it's gone Got forever. It. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, and so th there are just, I think, hundreds of edge cases where um, people can get into, have really unintended consequences because they don't understand the, the actual finality of, of the blockchain. Whereas in all technologies up till then, like if you didn't like something, you can go change it. And so we think in those patterns, but as with the blockchain, you can't go change it. And once you've done it, it's done. And people just don't have the rigor and the uh, mental models of computing to work safely in that environment. Not saying they might not get there at some point but today it's it's pretty dangerous and that's just from a functionality perspective I, I think that there are other real problems with with them in terms of scalability and performance and and some of these other technical things that you know we could get into but at, well, at, at the high level from a functional perspective that's the and I, I wouldn't say the objection I have to it that's the you know, be very careful. Don't run in the street with scissors warning I would give, you know. Um, street with scissors, that's not good. Is that what you're saying? Don't, right. don't run. With, okay, got it. Well, I want to come back to two things you said. Let me do the first one first, I suppose, which is it's not yet well understood. And I think you said this too, Ben. It's a relatively new technology. It has a lot of unique properties like the immutability, which add a, a layer of security and a, a layer of assurance, frankly. Back to the point of it has to be sort of zero trust. That's sort of one of the terms used a lot when talking about blockchain. It's zero trust because it's distributed. We don't need an entity, a single entity to tell us whether it's right or wrong. The, the collective does. But isn't that true for all new technology, Jason? I guess that's been pushed back to you is, you know, when, when SQL first came out, I suspect it was probably before my day, frankly, mm -hmm. but maybe around your day, you know, look, it was a new technology and it was different than how we'd done things in the past. Certainly that was true when we went to schema-less architectures, other sort of technologies along the way. Hey, we don't understand how this works. Like it has a lot of problems. Is this normal? Is it different? Are you saying? Does it yeah, feel? I, it, it, it's a good question because you know, that does happen. So let's say, you know, in, I, I have a lot of gray hair. So we used to work in vSAM, right? On the mainframe. Uh, and so we moved like to, from vSAM to SQL. Well, that's, it is different. There are different uh, patterns of usage, patterns of way to make things perform well and work well. The challenge is if 
if I'm I've got some data in vSAM and I move it to let's say DB2 or from now a SQL database like Oracle to a uh, schemaless data store uh, that you might find like DynamoDB or something like that on the uh, cloud. If I screw up, I don't lose the data, mm -hmm. right? Like, so okay. I still have it. I can redo it. I can, oh, I should have done it a different way. I'll do it this way. And I learn and learn and learn. And the challenge is uh, with, with blockchain and Ethereum, now there are ways to test transactions and test uh, scripts and that kind of thing. But there are just a lot of, uh, you know, if, if you start thinking about, I want to use it to do something new, mm -hmm. then you don't have a lot of, for the lack of a better term, libraries that you you've built on over the past, you know, for the last 30, 40 years. And as a result, okay, well, maybe I screw something up, but that has massive implications when things are immutable. So Ben, to you, yep. to that exact point, you know, look, <clears throat> Silicon Valley is not filled with a bunch of uh, unintelligent people. They certainly understand some of the risks and challenges that Jason's talking about. How how did they how are they thinking about it? How do you think about it in terms of what is the return on that to justify the extra risk that's associated with adopting or trying out this new technology? Yeah, thanks for that question. I you know think about it pretty basically. Like, hey, we went from mainframe to this whole client server thing to then now there's this cloud thing, right? And it's just an evolution. Um, Someday we'll be in this metaverse where we live part reality or this mixed reality or whatever it's going to be. Um, how are you going to transact there? Well, I think blockchain is going to be the way in which we transact. It will just be. Um, just like, hey, there was this thing, DARPA was doing experiments. All of a sudden that became this distributed thing called the internet, right? Um, and so, you know, it's just an evolution uh, and it's yet another one of those technologies as I think about what Jason described uh, just a bit ago and back to his nine volt battery. All right, you take SQL versus dot, dot, dot. All right, that's Energizer versus, you know, brand X, brand Y, whatever, right? A battery. So um, they're just flavors. Uh, but at the essence or the heart, it's still a battery. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, blockchain will still be. Um, and by the way, Microsoft, when I used to be on Word typing away and it crashed, um, autosave wasn't a thing, right? Eventually, things will be figured out. Um, now, the, the way in which blockchain works today, it's the inherent security mechanism built in that it goes away and has people like, there's that story of the person that lost their laptop and like went going through, um, you know, the dumpster and the whole garbage uh, right. general lot looking for this thing because there were millions of dollars sitting in the laptop. Laptop's gone, there's millions of dollars, right, in Bitcoin. So uh, I think things will get figured out over time. Um, and you know, it's just one of those evolutions that, hey, we're in the infancy and as we mature, and especially since it's distributed and many people contributing, you know, there's lots of smart people in the world that will figure this out. That's a great point. I was graduating. Yeah, and I, I would say that I think, you know, in, in in some of the big tech companies, Google, Amazon, you know, there's a lot of smart people that I think do think through a lot of those, you know, I I sometimes you've heard of the house of mirrors. I call it the house of razor blades that you're walking through with <laughs> some of those technologies. And 
Um, I think there, you know, a lot of smart people there that are able to walk through without cutting themselves. The more, the more the audience I'm more thinking of, you know, from as a consultant is, you know, enterprises from 5 billion to, you know, 500 billion kind of range, you know, the, the fortune 1000 kind of enterprises where they tend to be a little bit laggards in adopting technology. And so, uh, you know, in starting out this podcast, Vincent mentioned that what was it 70, how, what percentage of, was it? Of, 75%. Yeah. 75% of, of enterprise CIOs were looking to use it. And and so my, my message isn't necessarily that again, that it's not going to eventually, uh, you know, be used for some purposes. It just may not be fit for every purpose, like any technology. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, I think there needs to be a lot of maturing before it, it's viable from, uh, from a big company or from an enterprise's standpoint, uh, of using Cause the other factor there is, is the actual end users, right? Mm-hmm. So end users don't, you know, uh, I, I make this joke and if she hears this, she'll probably kill me. But <laughs> I, my wife has never remembered her iPhone password, mm-hmm. right? Or her iTunes password ever. She wants to go install an app. I have to go reset her password cause she just can't remember it. Um, and so like to, to put anything of value for her into something where remembering a password is there's no, re, you know, retrieve lost password mm-hmm. is like not uh, a really good idea for her. I also think outside of the, the danger aspect of, of immutability, and the cryptography, I think that the scalability, um, which is, is another topic is, it's something that's going to have to be solved. You know, you think about Ethereum, Ethereum is a little bit different. I mean, blockchain is pretty limited in, in terms of, again, I use the analogy, what can you put in the cell of this, of the public spreadsheet? What you can put in the cell is give Vincent this much money, give Ben this much money, make sure they provide their key to be able to spend it is essentially the, the only two transactions. Everything else is just built on that. And with Ethereum, though, uh, and Cardano, some of these others, they're full uh, virtual machines, full state machines that, that allow you to build any type of logic, just like you would in any type of programming language, and stick that in a cell. And, you know, what the, the blockchain then becomes is a giant virtual machine that runs millions of little programs. Now, that's like what I think, that, and that's the idea behind Web 3.0, essentially that instead of, mm-hmm. you know, the web being a network with servers connected on the end and those servers play display, you know, send relatively static data over the internet. Uh, but they each store it, you know, there, one website has its own data store. One website has its own data store. Any code that's run runs on those web servers, stores the data locally, sends the results over the internet essentially versus, you know, something in, in the web 3.0 mind is like, we have a blockchain, right? That blockchain runs code, you know, whether it be Ethereum script or whatever. And we essentially build those applications on top. I think that the scalability problem with that is think about it this way. Like your web server has to run your applications code. Mm -hmm. Vincent's web server has to run Vincent's applications code. Ben's web server has to run Ben's application code. In the kind of Ethereum Web 3.0 world, all of our servers have to run 
all of our code, mm-hmm. right? And so that has an enormous exponential growth problem, right? So if you say, well, 100,000 nodes, right? Each serving 100,000 people, meaning we each have to run 100,000 people's different code on all of our servers, right? It just doesn't, as a, you know, somewhat of an, you know, I'm somewhat of an economist at heart. It's like a really inefficient use of computing resource because these things, because of the cryptography use an enormous amount of energy. I think that the blockchains last year used more energy than the country of Italy. Right. Um, now I know there are, there are a lot of things to, to help reduce that in the way, but you know, even if we do reduce the energy consumption, it still has the problem of everyone having the, you know, of the entire, you know, Ethereum likes to call itself a world computer, right? It runs all the transactions, the, the Ethereum blockchain runs all the transactions for all applications for all people. Sure. And I just don't know that companies in particular, if I own a company that I want to invest in enough compute power to run the entire world's transaction set. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Can we like, pull on that thread? Yeah, yeah sure thing. That, Sorry, exactly. Um, and now, now I'm going to geek out, go back to my former wireless days. So we think <laughs> about 3G technologies, right? And it was really the core, right? Where the, you spent a lot of money. Um, and it was just about getting you know, the antenna up, um, but taking those bits of data and trying to get it into the core as fast as we could. And then 4G, right? And it was more bandwidth. But now there's 5G and 5G is moving closer to the edge. Um, and it was all this, how are we going to do this stuff? It's all out on the edge. And oh my gosh, the investment. Well, guess what? 5G is here now. Um, we look at partnerships that, you know, GCP, um, AWS, right, about taking the cloud closer to the edge with like BT. Um, I think Google and uh, BT just made a big announcement. Um, everything's going towards the edge, right? And so it's going to be smaller pieces of data that go towards the edge as opposed to it's all that core compute that we think about in the old like client server world. So um, I think we're solving for that. Um, And as far as like um, energy and sustainability goes, and once uh, the market corrects and all these people mining uh, all of this Bitcoin and mining stuff, uh, you know, setting up massive computers just to try to make some money on the margins, once there's some corrections, which the market always corrects itself, I think that'll normalize soon. Again, we'll figure it out as things move towards the edge around how to solve for, um, you know, being more efficient and more effective with not just energy, but also code um, and where that lives. Yeah, I think that's a good, good, interesting point. I guess my question to you, Ben, is given, given all, the, all the extra costs here, all the extra complexity of adopting this new technology, of trying to solve these problems that have yet to be solved in your example of 3G, for example, What's the use case in your mind that, that's so compelling that organizations want to invest, take the big risk, try and figure it out, especially when there's a steeper learning curve that you talked to us uh, earlier about, Jason, the immutability. Like what, what does that look yeah. like to them? Well, uh, I, I will give my own personal answer, maybe with an anecdote, but um, you also look at where large tech companies are investing, and that's in health. It's in you know, multi-trillion dollar industry, um, which has had inherent fault built in. And some of that, right, regulatory to help protect us and our data. I get it. Um, but there are better ways to um, to do this, right? And blockchain, I think, is one of those technologies that tech companies can help 
health companies. So, um, you know, Google invested a bunch in health. Um, look at Apple, right? And just, I don't know who's wearing an Apple watch today, but right. Um, I am, and I can send that data back to my provider, right? Now, what happens in blockchain when I own the data versus my various providers owning snippets of my data? Um, an anecdote, I said I was a Midwesterner by heart. Um, I had to get some images sent. Um, I've had a bad back, and that's just me getting older, I think. Uh, but had to have some images sent to a doctor out west, and I was uh, instructed that I need to fill out a form, a PDF, and fax it, which I giggled. And then I, they would snail mail it to my provider out here, or sorry, to me. Um, and then I had to fax in another form to another provider and then snail mail it. And I was like, first of all, fax machine, what year is this? I don't even know where to find a fax machine nowadays, I don't think. Um, Online. <laughs> and I was like, right, like this feels broken to me what if there was blockchain and i actually owned those images because they're images of my back mm -hmm. and then i use i gave the key out to jason my new provider right mm -hmm. um and then oh by the way when i switched from jason as my provider to vincent as my provider because i moved from chicago to the bay area cool right that's under my control um and the data still lives where i want it to live which is should be my data it's my back Mm -hmm. Um, great. Like that just makes it easy. I just hit the easy button where I, you know, a few clicks on the keyboard and now I've switched providers and as opposed to mail this back that I'm like, that is a ton of extra work relative to hitting a few keystrokes uh, and providing my key from provider one to provider two. Again, cause it's my data. I should be able to own my data as opposed to my insurance provider owns a small piece. My provider one owns a small piece. My provider two owns a small piece. Um, it's just a lot of ways that the pie is cut up today. And I sure wish I was able to dole out uh, pie slices based on my terms as opposed to the provider or, um, you know, the other folks within the supply chain today. Yeah. That's one instance. There's also a whole lot of stuff around like, um, Media, you think about how media rights and the media supply chain works around rights and royalties. Um, think about, you know, look, we're part of Omnicom. Think about advertising and media buying and tracking, right, and how money moves around. So there's lots of other use cases where we can do things a little bit more effectively and efficiently. Yeah, and a couple, a couple of thoughts about that, uh, Ben. I, I agree. I, I do – don't hear me say that I don't think there are some use cases for, for the blockchain uh, that might be valid. I think healthcare, health, medical health records are probably uh, maybe one of them where it might be a, a good use case. But I also think the, the solution or the this, uh, problem you described with your health records, like I agree that's a real problem and there should be a really automated way for you to own those records and give them appropriate people. But there is a way to do that with current technology that is much cheaper, much better understood and really could frankly be implemented at very low cost in a very quick amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing I think inherent in the blockchain itself that makes that solution, you know, of in that particular example better. And so the really, the, my, my issue is not that it wouldn't work it's that there may be much cheaper, faster, better solutions that we could use and then use the, you know, the extra resources to solve some other problem. But I do think that's an example of, 
applying non-blockchain thinking to blockchain with the idea like, well, I'll own my data and then I can just give it to someone else, not on the blockchain. On the blockchain, everybody owns your data. That's the point, right? And so everybody has a copy. Now, they may not be able to unlock it unless you give them a key, fair. But think of it back to the uh, uh, advertising example. Let's say I know, I, I know uh, I bought a ticket on American Airlines, and so I know uh, American Airlines public key. And someone has bought, you know, we can buy tickets on every airline, know all the airlines public keys. Buy a ticket at all the retailers, know all the retailers' public keys. I just need one transaction from you, Ben. And then I know, I may not know what you bought or where you flew, but I know every transaction that you've ever done with anybody and how much it was because it's all on the blockchain and I can see all of it. And so uh, privacy, it, it's one of those weird things to me that people often mention privacy when they mention the blockchain, it's like the least private solution on the planet, right? Because everybody gets a copy of all the data. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting point. You know, when you think about blockchain, people always talk about privacy, no doubt, and, and ownership of data. And, and all the use cases you talked about, Ben, I think are really interesting and really compelling. One that I recently read was this idea of digital online, uh, digital identity that was based on the blockchain, right? Which is that, hey, I can have myself and then as they go get a degree, for example, you know, Berkeley could sort of write on the blockchain, yep, Vincent has this degree. And as they get a new job, they go, yep, Vincent's part of Cordera. And as I go around through my life, I effectively can capture all these credentials, which I think is quite compelling. Or it could be medical records, or it could be, you know, a variety of things that today are just very disparate and very hard to validate or very hard to get. The concern that I had is exactly what you just said, Jason, which is, look, even if it's encrypted cryptographically, there has to be a way to verify it. Right? That is that if I provide you some information, you have to verify this information is correct, that Berkeley, yes, they signed off on that, or or that the transaction happened in the case of, of currency, cryptocurrency, yes, this transaction took place. How, how does that ultimately play out in your mind? Which is to say, to your point, look, if as soon as I see the blockchain, I can go download it, I can, right, you can download the entire thing yourself, you can see every transaction that's taken place. In fact, there's a website we go to right now and, and see what transactions are taking place live. We can see, here's one right here, it just came across. $4 million just got transacted. I can see then who had the money, who got the money, but those things are just random numbers, it looks like on the screen. So how do you take that then, Jason, and get back to an identity? And this goes to the difference between anonymous transaction, the pseudo-anonymous that this actually is. Right. Well, I, you know, that is the answer, right? If you you know, whoever that person is, like if, if somehow that person interacts with something outside the blockchain, mm -hmm. I transfer that money into my bank account, right? I convert it to us dollars on Coinbase and send it to my bank account. I use some of it to purchase, you know, a Tesla, mm -hmm. right? Well, all of a sudden Tesla knows who that key is associated with, or the bank knows who that key is associated with. And you know, just like today, the, the problem we have with privacy today is, well, I, I send around third-party cookies. You know, that's the big the big issue of the day. Third-party cookie, third-party cookie, third-party cookie. I've got my entire browsing history. Like people are, you know, LiveRamp or, or these other uh, tracking solutions um, are collecting third-party cookies and looking at my entire history. And then, boom, I transact with one of their customers. And all of a sudden, I'm associated with all that history. Like that's the fundamental problem that people have in privacy today. Well, 
the blockchain is just a way more efficient way to do that, in my opinion, right? It's it's going to have every transaction. Again, no one knows that's me. It's just like the, that, that key is just like the cookie. But as soon as I do it, mm-hmm. transact somewhere, that person knows everything about me. Got it. So, so what you're saying is, in essence, it's not so much that they know it's you, Jason Goth, at any given moment. It's that they can go back and look through the entire history and see that this this wallet, if you will, this credit card number in some sense, or the cookie on your laptop was used at all of these other places. And then the second that you turn that digital entity, that, that money in this case, that digital money, into a physical good or provide them your real information, we call these bridge events in typical right. e-commerce, right? Like exactly. you browse anonymously in some sense. You're the same person. We just don't know who you are yet. But as soon as you make that purchase, we get a bridge event and we can tie all that anonymous activity back to you specifically. And in this case, your entire history, right? And as many people do this, Mm -hmm. right, you still have the data collection happening. Like you get a, you know, I think you get a much fuller picture uh, of what people have done. There are Bitcoin users, Ethereum users, uh, et cetera, will say, well, just you need to like just after every transaction, create a new set of keys and transfer all your money to that new set of the keys, right? It protects your privacy. But you can see that too. And so as soon as that entity, right, that new set of keys transacts, mm. now I can follow it, you know, all the way back. So these technologies are very much in their infancy, as, as Ben said. I, I agree with that. And, and a lot of smart people are working on them. They, they may mature and, and a lot of these problems may be addressed, just like the original web was, you know, it was very static. We couldn't run applications and log in, and um, there were no firewalls <laughs> in the early in early nineties, and and things evolved. But that's kind of what I said earlier. Like we've got thirty or forty years, or in many of the technologies we use fifty or sixty years. If you look at some a lot of the mainframe technologies, which run you know, credit cards, banks, we've got twenty or thirty years of of, of best practices on things that run, you know, e-commerce, the web, those type things. We have almost, you know, by comparison, almost no maturity in in these systems, uh, in the blockchain-based systems. So I guess as we start to think about wrapping up here a little bit, I think what I heard from you, Jason, is that, look, blockchain is a really interesting technology. Actually, you didn't call it a technology. You called it a paradigm uh use a different term there but okay fair enough it's uh it's really interesting it has some some really fascinating components to it this idea that it's effectively a state machine that exists across it it's distributed across everywhere which has some nice resiliency factors in some sense but it also has some problems that we have yet to solve for example the privacy that you just talked about or the idea that it's immutable and you make a mistake that's not great (laughs) and that other technologies often might actually be the right answer at least for today that is that you could do almost anything we talked about so far with a more traditional technology that has 40 or 50 years of practice or an experience behind it. Is that right so far? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the, the other thing here, and just to, just to highlight that last point about the idea that it, it's easy to make a mistake with new technologies. You know, recently, just in February of 2022, the FBI seized a huge amount of assets, $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin specifically, which I think back to Ben's point earlier, like, this is the kind of thing that wasn't supposed to be possible because it wasn't owned by the government. And in fairness, it took them a while, right? This was the Bitcoin that was stolen way back in uh, 2019, I think it was. And it took them three years to ultimately work it out. And what, what happened in this case, to your point of problems, was not the technology itself. 
it was the best practices around it. And so in this case, the people who had stolen this money kept their private keys stored in a cloud that, of course, then the government used uh, warrants to get access to those keys. And once they had the keys, of course, they could transfer it back to their own account. And so so it is one of these things that is, is nascent enough, it's easy to make a really big mistake to the tune of, you know, $4 billion in the case of these criminals. Now, they're criminals, so I don't feel bad for them. <laughs> but it, it could happen to anybody in some sense, right? I guess the, the other thing I heard from you, Ben, was that, look, you get it. I mean, the Valley is not dumb on these things. They're, they're aware of all of these problems. The difference here is, like, the opportunity that sits before us is worth, worth the investment to figure out how do we solve some of these problems. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, that's right. And I even go back to when was Moore's Law? Uh, what was that? 1965? Yeah. Around, I know it was transistors, like but that. basically now to computing power, right? Mm-hmm. Doubles every 18 to 24 months. Like, okay, great, right? And it's going to go towards the edge and we're going to need technologies um, that will evolve with the way compute and the way we work and live. And so, so with that in mind, Ben, let me ask you a, a final question here in parting, if you will, which is given that, given, given all of the opportunity, given all of the, the risks still, but the, the problems that have to be solved ultimately, to the average, not, I'm not talking about research and development groups, I'm not talking about academics, but to the average executive at a fortune, call it 1,000 or 500 even, what would you suggest they do? Like, how do you, what should they be worried about? Again, thinking of all the blockchain technology, should they, should they do anything? Should they not do anything? How do they get ready for the moment that we solve some of these bigger, thornier problems? Yeah, thanks for that, Vincent. Uh, I think we already see a lot of the larger, call them more progressive tech companies out west, um, here where I live, uh, investing in those and utilizing some of the, you know, blockchain um, technology or uh, I guess specification as Jason mentioned earlier um, and they're building off of it right um, some of them it is sitting in a lab somewhere uh, some of it uh, it's inherent to how they were going to do business so you start to think about what's PayPal's evolution around just peer-to-peer payments what's you pay what's Apple pay what's gonna happen right with as you think about um, a lot of bankless or underserved communities being able to exchange globally, like you're going to have to start looking at these technologies. Um, and I, so I think finance uh, first and um, if nothing else, peer to peer, you know, exchanges as opposed to institutional. Uh, and then as we move towards whatever this metaverse or, you know, internet 3.0 web 3.0 will be, um, going to happen. So whether you're investing actively now um, or perhaps, you know, a little bit slower on that adoption curve, you're paying attention if nothing else, because, um, you know, those lessons will be learned. And I think somewhat quickly, uh, again, back to Moore's law around things just tend to move a lot quicker. Uh, and yeah, so some people will have a wait, watch, learn, uh, and others are already investing and getting, um, I don't know, I hate to air quote out in front, um, but, you know, those early adopters that are actually driving the way we work and live. Jason, similar question to you, I guess, for especially for those who, who just want to be sort of an early adopter and kind of start doing something. What should they do? I think people should uh, consider, right, what uh, any new technology and like what is its value and what could it help or how could it help us achieve kind of our business goals. And so I'm, I would never counsel anyone to not consider it, right? I would just say you need to go into it 
understanding, right, that it's a fundamental, you know, paradigm shift, right? And uh, someone, I heard someone use the analogy, is like, you don't want to show up for a tackle football game with your flag football gear on, right? Like, you're <laughs> going to get hurt. And, um, you know, as you look at those things, make sure that you understand the implications and take, I would say, take some, some baby steps uh, towards using it. You know, if you're if you're a more leading edge company and you're willing to to cut yourself a little bit on the or touch the hot stove, then sure, right, you got to do that. But I, I think for most companies, they're they're probably going to need to take a, a little bit more cautious approach because again, the the downside right now is is pretty significant. Got it. So so new maybe try it if you if you're if you're willing to try it, but maybe bring somebody along to help Absolutely. in some sense. Got it. Okay. Well, listen, both of you, Jason, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. It was awesome to talk about this pretty fascinating thing. I think, you know, we, we'll probably have to talk about this again at some point. We didn't get into nearly as much as I would have hoped, but we're out of time, so it'll have to do for today. Um, for those of you who would like to learn more, Jason and I have written a lot on this and other topics. Feel free to visit the Insights page at credera.com. Again, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us again.